0: You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plain, Minnesota. Go to riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here's today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen.
1: And in your note sheet, you'll find in the middle an extensive resource of resources about money, what the Bible says about money, and then 3 videos that are recommended, or video series that are recommended on Right Now Media, which you can easily get by going to riverrockchurch.com slash right now, I think, or just search Right Now Media, but anyway, you enter in your email address, and you can have access to our media library, and then you can watch these videos. So, Effective Stewardship by Dave Stotts this is really awesome, and I'm going to show you a few minutes of that today to whet your appetite for it, and Maybe you'll go back and watch some more. And then Dave Ramsey's Life, Money, and Legacy is really good. And then Managing Our Finances God's Way has like Chip Ingram and Rick Warren and all these other people uh, teaching about money. And those are just three of, I found over, I think there were 64 Uh, teaching video resources and a bunch of other things on there that you could watch so that you could learn because there's no sermon that can teach you enough about money, about investing, about stewardship, about what God expects you to do to be successful in life with the resources that he gives you or doesn't give you. So you need to apply yourself and learn. So that would be your homework, I guess. Now, there are classes that we could do as a church, like Dave Ramsey has a class. Uh, that it's like 13 sessions or something like that. Maybe they made it less. But to get you guys, you people, to come like 10 times in a row, I don't really foresee that it's going to happen anytime soon because everybody's so busy. But one reason that we offer the video service is so that you can find resources for your felt needs and then get help. So you can also call a past call us call a pastor or whatever. Uh, we can help you uh, suggest resources and things like that. But I am not picking these sermon topics to target you. So no one has told me about your life issues. And then I said, oh, I've got a sermon for him or for her. And so we're just going through the book of James and this stuff is just popping up. So today we get to talk about money because that's what the text talks about, money. And what it really is, is it's a warning for unsaved people, for rich people, that their money isn't going to save them, that their money only leads to trouble, but money is something that we all think about. Every one of us think about money. Uh, How can we save money? How can we make money? How can we have more money to help other people in need? All right, did you see this? Do you wish that you were a Canadian, eh? So Chase decided to forgive all credit card debt for their Canadian customers. I don't know if you have any debt, credit card debt with Chase, but Minnesota is pretty close to Canada, eh? Forgive our debts too. But they want to pull out of the Canadian credit card market. And I guess it's been difficult to do. I guess they've issued credit cards in Canada for 13 years, including both Amazon and Marriott co-branded cards. However, in March 2018, they decided to exit the Canadian credit card market because I guess it got to the point where it just wasn't worthwhile to them anymore. So they've told the customers up there that owed the money, forget about it. Don't worry about it, eh? A 55-year-old with $6,157 in debt said, I was sort of over the moon last night. With a smile on my face, I couldn't believe it. It's crazy. This stuff doesn't happen with credit cards. Credit cards are horror stories. Meanwhile, a 24-year-old who hadn't made a payment towards her debt in five years said the following, It's kind of like I'm being rewarded for my irresponsibility. I'm not sure there's actually a moral to the story here but it's certainly not to rack up credit card debt in hopes of it being forgiven. So the Israelites had the year of Jubilee, where after 50 years, debts were forgiven. And wouldn't it be awesome if your debts were forgiven? Wouldn't it be awesome if somehow you like had $100,000 in your hands to do something with it? What would you do with it? Would you hide it? Would you hoard it? Would you spend it to help people in need? Do you have a list in your mind of all the things that you would do to help people in their problems? You know, buy this person the car, fix this, pay off that, help them go to Bible college, help the church get into a building, whatever. Um, All these different things. If we just had money, right, wouldn't money just be the solution, be the answer to everything? I don't know if it would. Uh, Chuck Swindoll (laughs) shares the story in his uh, commentary that in 1923, an elite group of businessmen met at the luxurious Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. The roster included some of the most influential, famous, and wealthy moguls of the early 20th century. These men were among them Charles M. Schwab, president of Bethlehem Steel Corporation, Richard Whitney, president of the New York Stock Exchange, Albert Fall, secretary of the interior under President Harding, Jesse Livermore, Wall Street tycoon, I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, Ivar Kruger, head of a global monopoly of match manufacturers. These heavy hitters controlled more wealth than the total assets of the United States Treasury at the time. Surely these men would become models of the entrepreneurial spirit and stellar examples of financial success. But fast forward about 25 years or so and look back on the courses of their lives. Schwab died $300,000 in debt in 1939. Whitney served time at Sing Sing Prison for embezzlement. Fall served time for misconduct in office, leaving behind a ruined reputation. Livermore committed suicide in 1940, describing himself as a failure. Kruger shot himself in 1932 after his global monopoly collapsed. Buried beneath the rubble of humiliation, defeat, crime, sickness, and financial collapse, these men, along with a number of their colleagues, died in a depressing, pitiable condition. Their wealth, power, and prestige did nothing to soothe the personal Anxiety and guilt they suffered in life. The reality is that great intelligence and hard work can make a person wealthy, but it takes God given wisdom and supernatural humility to be able to manage wealth and influence. So, and that's what we're going to look at in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Uh, James, he talks about how we're supposed to be humble when it comes to living, and James also talks about how we're not supposed to favor the um, rich people when they come to church and we are supposed to do all that we can to uh, keep money in perspective when it comes to godliness that money isn't the answer and a reminder is that some people aren't poor because they're lazy or poor because they're not um, as loved by God or as adequate or whatever. Some people choose to be poor by the career choice that they've chosen, by the life that they live. Some people choose to live simply and they might not have as many resources. Some people go through difficult things, health problems, financial difficulties. Sometimes they pour out all their money to help their family or their their loved ones. So sometimes you don't know why people are poor. And on the other hand, sometimes you don't know why people are rich. It's not always the smart people that knew how to invest or made a product or invented something that are rich sometimes that money is inherited or sometimes there was a lawsuit or something that caused them to get all this money first one chapter five verse one look here you rich people weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags your gold and silver are corroded the very wealth you were counting on will eat your flesh like fire this corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. So, these rich non-believers someday will stand before God and give an account for their life and they won't, they'll not they will be presented with a bill that they won't be able to pay because Jesus paid the price for our salvation and all we need to do is repent of our sin and believe upon Him. We can be saved and have that bill taken care of. But the rich people who say, I don't need God, I have everything I need. The rich people who say, uh, I can buy whatever I want. I don't need to pre- anything. I don't need to ask God for any help. I can have whatever I want. I can get whatever I want. I can do whatever I want because I'm rich. James is warning them that, hey, beware. It's not going to work out like you think. So number one, you don't want money trouble. So money is not always the answer to a better life. Money is not the answer to all of your troubles. And if you think that it is and you pursue it, we'll see in a few minutes here, that it will lead to disappointment that the love of money is the root of all evil. Evil. So, um, troubles. The wealth is rotting away. In their day, uh, a lot of times the wealth was like stored up um, food or clothes or uh, things that could rot. I mean, all their clothes, a lot of people just had one set of clothes back then, but the rich people had lots of clothes and they had so many stored up that the moths were eating them And uh, stuff was rotting away, Uh, even for us, I mean, uh, we have rust, our our cars, they rust away, Uh, our stuff rots away, uh, decays away, so um, it's just temporary, and even gold and silver corrodes, but the very wealth they were counting on. So money troubles are when you think that money is the answer to everything more than God, Money troubles come when you have so much money that all you can do is think about your money. You think about your possessions, you think about how can I protect my money? How can I invest money? How can I make more money? How can I keep those people from getting my money? If I give my money to those people, will they do what I want them to do? And so if you don't have a lot of money, you are probably not spending a whole lot of time thinking about what to do with all your money. So you don't want money troubles James warns those who are unbelievers who have lots of money that it will not end well for them. Number two, you don't want to selfishly cheat others. Selfishly cheat others, James 5.4. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. So these people, some of their riches came from them taking from the poor people. So they didn't pay the field workers like they were supposed to. I mean, some of the field workers were so poor, they would show up, they would do the work they needed the pay right then so that they'd go feed their families, take their meager pay, buy some food for their families so they wouldn't starve the next day. And some of the wealthy cheaters were taking the money and saying, well, you know, I'm not going to pay you until the, job, until the harvest is done. Or I'm not going to pay you as much as I said or well, you know, you use these tools and equipment, we're going to deduct that from what we're going to pay you so you get less. Um, In our day, it might be something like not paying people when you're supposed to or not paying them a decent wage. If you are a business owner or in charge of people's wages, you should do all that you can to make sure that your employees are paid really well so that they can provide for their families and they can have what they need. God sees What you make is a profit, and God sees what you share with your workers. And if you're paying your workers very little so you can get richer and richer, seems pretty sinful to me. But you don't want to selfishly cheat others. God hears the cries of the workers that are being cheated, and God will deal with that. So know that if you are being cheated, that God hears and God can deal with that. But don't be that person. Don't be that person... Who doesn't do what you say you're going to do, doesn't pay like you say you're going to be paid, doesn't follow through or doesn't pay the amount that you said? People that cheat others. You don't want to selfishly cheat others. Number three, you don't want to get trapped by self indulgent luxury. So, James 5 5, you have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. So, James is telling these rich people that you've been selfish, you've even killed innocent people, um, even righteous people have been persecuted for their faith. But the years and luxury can be a trap. You can get so comfortable that you don't want to step out and do anything for God. You don't want to fulfill the purposes that God created for you because You're comfortable and you don't want to be bothered or you're comfortable and you have all this stuff and uh, there's really no need for you to to be bothered or to get involved. Um, It's very interesting that some people that make a lot of money uh, as they get older will uh, look at their life and think, okay, well, I was successful in business or I made all this money and here I am towards the end of my life and I'm so unhappy. I wish that I would have done more. I wish I would be making more of a difference in the world. I wish that I would have made different choices. But when you spend your years on earth in luxury satisfying your every desire, then uh, you're pretty hard to please. It's hard to get you involved in stuff. If it's not the best of the best, you're constantly complaining it's not good enough. And so you don't want to get trapped by self-indulgent luxury. You should be content with what you have from day to day. And Paul said that he knew what it was to be in poverty, he knew what it was to have plenty, and that he was content. And we need to figure out a way to be content. And sure, God allows us to enjoy certain luxuries. I mean, a lot of us have luxuries like air conditioning, air conditioning in our cars, cars uh, to get us places, uh, different luxuries but you can reach a point where you're just so much into spending your money on luxuries and so much into being comfortable and so much where it's just all about you that you can get trapped in it to the point that you won't get out there and make a difference, trapped in it to the point that you won't put your life on the line to serve the Lord or to make a difference because you're comfortable or I'm comfortable and I don't want to change and I don't want to risk losing all of this comfort. Don't get trapped by self-indulgent luxury. Number four you don't want to fall in love with money. People do fall in love with money and the pursuit of money and they think about money. How can I make money? I've got to have money. I need more money. He's got more money than me. What can I do to get more money? So every waking moment is like, what, what have I done with my money? Where is my money? How much money do I have? How can I make more money? How can I save money? If I don't pay that person, I can keep more money for myself. 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, Paul writes, True godliness with contentment itself is great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So that list of those wealthy tycoons Some of those, chasing after money, did things that shouldn't have been done. And uh, one of them was in prison. Some of them took their lives. If you fall in love with money and you chase after all of these things, it can lead to greed. It can lead to relationship problems. It can lead to not having very good ethics, uh, cheating in business, cooking the books, all these different things. If you fall in love with money and pursue money, do not fall in love with money. Money is a tool. Money is a resource. If you have a lot of money, that's not sinful. If you love money, that is sinful. If you <coughs> look to God to provide more resources, resources so you can make more of a difference in the world, that's awesome. If you look to get more money so that you can make yourself more comfortable and be more self-sufficient and have more for yourself, that's sinful. So it is a great thing to make a ton of money and to save a ton of money, and to give away a ton of money, and to uh, use that money as a tool. And I have seen people that have had a lot of money that were godly that said, God uses me as a vessel to, with this money, and the money flows to me, and then God shows me where what I'm supposed to do with it, and I help these Christian ministries, I help these people, I help these people in need. The money flows into my hands and out of my hands to these people, and I'm confident as long as I'm faithful to keep giving it out, God's going to keep it coming in. And uh, I met a guy one day that made a million dollars in one day doing some worldwide trade on some mining equipment. And he was helpful and faithful with money. So sometimes you can't tell a millionaire, which actually a millionaire isn't that much as it used to be, but uh, because often they drive old cars and they're really good at saving their money. And then there's other people that look like they're multimillionaires, but they're just heavily in debt. They're financed to the hilt. Everything that they have is like a car's a lease and this has got payments and they're in debt, in debt, in debt. But they look like they have a lot of money. So don't chase after money or people with lots of money. Don't fall in love with money. Fall in love with Jesus and as he provides money, be faithful in what you do with it. So this is the preview that I wanted to show you for the video series that you could watch. And this one is Effective Stewardship by Dave Stotts. And this video is seven minutes long.
0: Welcome to our series on Effective Stewardship. I'm Dave Stotz. but enough about me. Let's talk about you. Who are you? Well, you can describe yourself in many ways because all of us play a variety of roles in our life. One woman might be a wife, a mother, a sister, a daughter, an employee, or a volunteer. Any number of things all at once. But there's one role that you might have forgotten about, you are a steward and that one role being a steward affects all the other roles in your life why because a steward is somebody who's put in charge of somebody else's stuff in this case it's god's stuff in every area of your life you are in charge of god's stuff now many of us think that christian stewardship is all about giving money to the work of the church and that is an important part of being a Christian steward, but it's just a part. The Bible also encourages us to be stewards of our talents, stewards of the environment, stewards of our fellow man, and stewards of institutions like the family and the church. So the question then becomes this, how do I become a wise and faithful steward for the Lord? That is the subject of this series. Okay, so let's ask the first question that's on everybody's minds. What does this stewardship business mean for my bank account, my house, or my car? Is it okay to have those things? How much
2: is too much? I'm asked this question all the time is what is the right lifestyle for a Christian? Is it poverty or is it luxury? Paul said this, he said, I've been poor. And I have been rich, and I've learned how to be content wherever I am. And God says in Timothy three things about my lifestyle. He says, number one, learn to be content. Number two, provide for your family. A man is worse than an infidel that doesn't provide for his family. And number three, God has given you richly all things to enjoy. So I need to be able to live my life holding everything that God has given me with with an open hand and enjoying it. The
3: problem is we tend to hoard the wealth we're given because we think it's ours. What we need to do is release that, that wealth into his service. They're not ours to begin with. God's entrusted us with all of this.
2: A lot of people think that the Bible says that uh, that money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Money is a tool to be used For God and for His glory, I should use money, never ever love money.
3: Money, talents, and wealth are good, but they become bad when they take us away from the things that really matter, namely Christ, His kingdom, and fulfilling the mandates that God has given us.
0: A recent study found that giving as a percentage of income was greater during the Great Depression than it was. More than 70 years later, in 1933, America was in the middle of a terrible economic downturn, and yet American Christians were managing to give 3.3% of their income. Today, awash in prosperity, American churchgoers are only managing to give 2.5% of their income. 25 is a start, but we live in a world that's starved for the gospel. 1.6 billion people have never heard the good news that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. American Christians alone are stewards of more than $5 trillion of wealth. You don't have to be an accountant to grasp the untapped resources we're currently sitting on. In a culture that's all about keeping up with the Joneses, how do we keep a steward's perspective on all that wealth? The Bible provides guidelines on how to keep wealth in perspective. In the Old Testament, God told his people to look around at all he had given them and to return at least 10% of it to him. The biblical term for that was tithing. Do we have to tithe today? Maybe that's the wrong question. R.G. Letourneau, who invented most of the earth-moving equipment in our country that we use today, I love what he used to say, ain't it great that God lets us keep 90%.
3: In fact, even in the Old Testament, tithing had to do with your entire life. It wasn't just about the 10% of your property that you bring as a sacrifice to the temple, but it's about bringing your entire self. It was about taking care of the land, taking care of the poor, taking care of the widows and the orphans. All of these things were wrapped up in what was going on with the tithe.
0: The tithe was a serious matter. God said through the prophet Malachi, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing for you until there is no more need. That was under the old covenant. Christians today live under the New Covenant. And yet the responsibility to give and the blessings promised by God to those who give still applies. When Jesus said lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, it wasn't a recommendation,
3: it was a command. It still means we need to be faithful in supporting institutions with our 10% or actually more. We shouldn't be locked into 10%. We should give out of the abundance with which God's given to us.
2: I'm in a small group with a man who's very wealthy, and every single quarter, I mean calendar quarter, he adds up his net worth and he gives everything away that has gone beyond his how-much-is-enough line. If you don't make that commitment and live by that commitment, you'll never, ever stop accumulating. Well, that man uh, gives away millions and millions and millions of dollars. Do you find that as
0: challenging as I do? I mean, if you're like me, you've got a little bit of that eccentric millionaire, Howard Hughes, in you. Somebody asked him one time, how much is enough? He said, just a little more. We have to remind ourselves that happiness is never found in just a little more. Jesus reminds us that no servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God
1: and money. I think there's like a couple hours of video that talks about different things, about using your time, your talents, your treasure. Uh, Dave Ramsey one is good. The three listed on here are really great resources. Um, I encourage you to find some time to watch them and to learn more about money and how to manage your money. But Jesus did say, uh, No one can serve two masters. You will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved money and you don't want to miss out on god's best for your life in uh, your finances so if you have need you should pray for it so many times you see god you experience god working in your life when you have a need that you can't provide on your own and you pray about it you pray for that resource you pray for that appliance you pray for that bill to be paid and then god answers in an amazing way and you're like the god of the universe has reached down from heaven to care about me and answer my need and help me If you need more money, pray for it. Uh, And also get on a budget. And maybe even a faith budget that says, well, I don't have enough money, but if I did, this would be my budget. And work towards that. And think about the things that you spend and don't spend. Think about when you're at the store and you've got all that stuff in your cart. Ask yourself before you check out, do I really need it? Does it glorify God? Is this something that I need to purchase or just something that I want to purchase? Is this going to be something that is really going to help me accomplish God's purposes in my life or is it a distraction? Think about what you do with your money. God sees. And actually, uh, if we could see your checkbook and credit card statement and spending patterns and stuff, we could probably determine how tuned in to the things of God you are by the way that you spend your money or don't spend your money. So anyway, I am out of time with that, but next week we're going to talk about patiently awaiting Jesus' return and the powerful privilege of prayer. And then on uh, Labor Day weekend, your work still matters to God. So actually the last two years, I think the message has been your work matters to God. So it still matters to God. And if you come on Labor Day weekend, we're going to talk about that. So I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you do bless us with resources. You bless us with money somehow more than others. Help us to be faithful with the money that we have, with the resources that we have. Help us to be trustworthy so that you could give us abundantly more and we would be faithful to use it uh, to accomplish your purposes for our life and to make a difference in the world and not to hoard it to ourselves because sometimes if you give people too much money, they don't get closer to God, they stray away. But Lord, we pray that you would bless us, help us to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for listening. We invite you to visit River Rock Church 10 a.m. Sundays at 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. You can connect with us, find resources to help you grow in your faith, give online to support this ministry, and share your prayer requests with us at riverrockchurch.com. May God bless you. Share Jesus with others this week.